Well, good morning, church. Um, I'm a little raspier than normal. Um, yeah. I told my wife, I said, babe, I tuck my shirt in on Sundays once a year. That's Christmas Eve service. But then she said, hey, you need to tuck today. So I'm wearing the shirt my mom got me for Christmas. And uh, man, I told, uh, you know, so we hadn't been to a game in a couple years. My wife, last time she went to a game was when she was pregnant with Gwyneth, which was like six years ago. And so it's been a while. And um, we decided to get some tickets and go to the game. And my boys were pumped up and we went and I was like, hey, just, we're just going to have a good time, you know, get a pretzel, just kind of. You know, second half, we need to get him more popcorn to make him feel a little better. And man, I was, I was just like blown away. It was so fun. Um, it was awesome. And uh, I was <clears throat> telling somebody, you know, 20 years uh, watching Aggie football. I mean, that was just amazing, that game. And, you know, if you're not an Aggie fan, I'm sorry for you, but it was just great. So... Someone on our, on our staff text was like, hey, should we do a maroon out tomorrow at church? I was like, I think half the people wear maroon anyway, so you guys are, which is great. Maybe we'll do that next time. So, so thankful. It was so fun. And um, uh, anyways, hopefully you had a, a great time. You know, just even talking about the game last night, I was talking to my wife, you know, around midnight when we got home. And, um, and she was like, you know what was interesting is that it almost, uh, it almost felt like like that, you know, now my wife went to Baylor, so don't hiss at her, all right? She's an amazing, godly woman. Be careful, careful what you judge, so, all right? Uh, but she was wearing A&M boots last night to the game, so she successfully been mildly converted, so, which is great. But she was like, you know, it was, it was weird, but it almost felt like that was kind of healing in a strange way for like our university. And, you know, I'm not, there's not a spiritual healing happening. Don't go mixing words. But I was like, you know, I think you're right. Like, there is something, you know, when you're an Aggie, you know, you kind of just feel like, man, you know, we've kind of been second fiddle at times and, you know, all sorts of things happen. But it's like last night, it was like, man, I was proud. Proud to be part of this university. Proud to be part of the city. And we were telling our boys, hey, you may not see this again in your life, but this is so fun. So... We're going we're gonna to soak it up. We went home, and I was like, boys, it's 1230. We're watching Sports Center." So we just started watching the highlights, rewind, and just, man, look at that. You know, they were like, Dad, this is awesome. You know, like, get to bed. You know, got to go to bed. Eventually, I got to preach in the morning. So here we go. All right. Well, that's nothing to do with our sermon, but hopefully you had a fun time yesterday. If you got your Bibles, I want you to open up to Matthew chapter 5. Now, What's interesting, God's timing in all this, is we planned this sermon series out about 10 weeks ago, okay? And this morning, I was like, Lord, we're just going to go for it, all right? So I'm about to preach on probably the most unliked portion of the Sermon on the Mount, okay? This is the most awkward portion. This is the portion nobody wants to talk about because... It is because uh, it has destroyed so many people in our world. Uh, this passage we're about to go into is so destructive that when I preach this morning, what I want you to hear is that Jesus is very emphatic 
and very clear. He's not, he's not mincing his words. He is very direct about what he believes when it comes to these passages here in Matthew chapter 5. So, you know, in case you've not been with us, we've been doing this series called Seek First. And comes from Matthew 6.33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Remember that last part. All these things will be added to you. But he's asking us, almost requiring us, insisting, you've got to seek first my kingdom. If you seek first my kingdom, the rest will take care of itself. But if you seek everything else, you'll never get to the kingdom. It's like not having God in his proper place. It's, well, it's God plus X plus X plus X. And it's like, no, 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 no. It's God is here, and then everything is a subcategory. And so what Jesus is trying to communicate clearly throughout the Sermon on the Mount is over and over again, it's about God's ways. This is the way to live in the kingdom. This is the way a believer needs to walk and act and talk and think. This is the way. Seek first the kingdom which a simple definition for the kingdom is, the kingdom is wherever the king is. It's wherever the king is, King Jesus, wherever he is. And where Jesus is, his character, his presence, his goodness, his mercy, his love. That's why you can see Jesus when you see people, because you see how people love like Jesus. How people forgive like Jesus. How people serve like Christ. Jesus washing disciples' feet. Go and do as I have done to you. Go and serve others just as I have served you. When we are like Jesus, when we obey Jesus, people then can see Jesus. So as we go through this passage today, I want you to hear what Jesus is saying and take it to heart as hard as it may be to hear. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 27. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So here we go. Right before this statement that Jesus makes in Matthew 5, 27, 28, he mentioned the sixth commandment. If you remember, he said, you shall not murder. And he equated anger in your heart with murder. Now here he's mentioning the seventh commandment, which equates lustful intent with adultery. Jesus is correcting a mistaken presumption that these laws or their interpretation of the laws at the time, that, that they were misinterpreting them and misapplying them. Meaning simply refraining from the physical act of adultery does not fulfill the law of God when a man lusts after a woman. Simply refraining from the act of murder does not fulfill the law of God when you have anger and hatred in your heart. He is equating them the same. So what is lustful intent? Lust is a strong feeling of sexual desire for anyone other than your spouse. To put it plain and simple. But you see, lust begins in the heart. The center of someone's identity, of their will, of their soul. You see, it's not enough just to maintain physical purity alone. But you also must guard against the mental, the engaging of it in your mind, or even having the thought or the act of unfaithfulness. Remember, Jesus, throughout this sermon, he is not... 
Um, he's not adding to the Old Testament law. He is rightly interpreting it. Do you see? Like, that's what Jesus came to do. You read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He's taking statements in Old Testament prophets and words and laws. He's saying, let me give you the full interpretation, not the partial. Now, what is adultery in the heart, right? Sexual intent can be thoughts. It can be uh, fantasy. It can be pornography. Anything that you are doing that is awakening or arousing those desires for anyone other than your spouse. Examples, right? Magazines, movies, social media, images, any kind of videos, any person you see walking down the street. I, like, I used to say to these guys, I would disciple them, and I said, if you want to go to the nth degree, Jesus is talking about not even doing a double take, which really means for a man or for a woman to say, look, it's one thing to look upon a person and say, man, they are beautiful in the eyes of God. I'm so glad, I'm so glad God made them the way he did. We don't want to shame people like, I'm not going to look at you. It's like, hey, you are a beautiful creation of God. Amen. It's okay to say that. It's like, you're a beautiful young lady. That's good. I'm going to say that over my daughters. Like, you are beautiful. You are lovely. But what he's calling us to is to leave it there. To leave it right there. You are beautiful. You're a handsome young man. Amen. Let's move on. But to not dwell, not to double take, and not to think, well, what if I got with that handsome young man? What if I got with that beautiful young lady? What ha- would happen then? What if we met in different... Does it make sense? It's when your mind starts to go down the tracks versus acknowledging beauty and all that and just say, hey, that's us right there. That's okay. It's when our mind and our affections start running away. So what is adultery in the body, right? I'll say it this way. Sexual activity with any person other than your spouse. Sexual activity with any person. I think that is maybe conveying the heart of what Jesus is saying. Now, before you think, oh, Tyler, man, you know, what do you know about all this stuff, right? In sixth grade, I was an innocent young man. I went over to a friend's house, a buddy in the soccer team, to spend the night. My friend's older brother, who's a couple years older, came home from his practice, whatever. His parents were gone, went out to dinner, and it was just us, me, my buddy, and his older brother. He said, hey, guys, I want to show y'all something. So this is back in the early 90s, all right? There's no YouTube. There's no phone. There's none of that stuff. So we go downstairs to their TV, and he takes a video. It was a VHS at the time. He pops it in. It's a pornographic film. I'd never seen that in my entire life. Sixth grade. I've never seen a naked woman my entire life. And there it is on full display. And I'm sitting there. I'm in sixth grade, right? I'm like 12 years old. And my buddy's sitting there. And I'm like, what? I don't even know what to do. And after about five or 10 minutes, I think me and my, my friend, we like got up and walked out of the room. But it was done. The seed had been planted. 10 minutes, 10 minutes of something coming at me that I didn't plan on, then planted a seed. So then what happened? What happened from there was a couple years later, I started, the internet started emerging, and eventually I started searching for pictures and things like that to satisfy those affections, those things that were awakened in me. Started clicking, I would do it in secret. Now this is, 
This is the internet's kind of getting going. No one knew what to do with it. There was nothing, no regulation, no filters, none of that sort of stuff. And just started clicking and doing things. And eventually it kind of snowballed and got into an addiction. And I'd never told anybody until somewhere in high school, I got into our youth group and a couple of guys got together and our, and our leader was like, hey, we're going to share some things. And he started sharing some of his story and we were like, whoa. And I felt the Holy Spirit say, you need to confess this. Started confessing it, started sharing about my addiction and pornography and all the stuff. And let me just tell you, in the middle of high school, I spent probably 50% of my energy and capacity trying to not do that. It's like, you know what I'm saying? It's like when you just try to play defense all the time, you're just so concerned about not screwing up again. And I remember it would be weekly. I would go and I would confess to my guys. They'd pray for me, talk about it. And then we'd come back and other guys as, as chosen sin again. And we'd go through this cycle for years. It got a little better, but it was for years. And I remember I would set goals. I'm like, good Christian man. Come on, man. And 30-day goals. And in 30 days, I'm not going to click at anything. and be free. Be sexually free. And then day 31, there I am, clicking again. It was like this trap. And I'm like, this is crazy. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm not murdering people. I'm not a drug dealer. I'm not, I'm just, but I just, the sin, I just can't get away from it. It's killing me. And I feel like such an absolute failure. Totally ashamed. A fake Christian. I was like, who, I'm, I felt worthless half the time. Of course I didn't want to show that. So I go off to college and I'm still wrestling with it. Less, but it's still happening. In junior year, I meet my now wife. We start dating. I don't talk about it. We get engaged. I tell her after we get engaged, say, hey, I need to confess something to you. This is going on in my life. And I committed to her. I said, hey, I'm going to tell you if it ever happens again. I've done pretty good and kind of staved it off for several months. And we're like two months away from our wedding. And something happened and I came to her and we we're hanging out at this coffee shop here in town. And I came to her and I said, hey, I need to tell you something. I said, I, I did it again. And she looked at me. We're two months away from wedding day, just tears in her eyes. And I said, I'm, I'm so sorry. I, I, I'm trying hard. And I remember talking to her. I remember in that moment, I remember saying these words. I said, Ashley, it's, every guy struggles with it. I'm doing my best. And she looked at me, just tears in her eyes. And she said, she said, Tyler, she said, am I hurt? Yeah. She said, but, but, but the problem is, what I hear you saying is just excuses. You don't really believe God can set you free. You say you believe God can do miracles and raise the dead. You don't really. Because you're still doing the same thing that he could easily set you free from, but you're unwilling. So in that moment, it's like the conviction of the Holy Spirit hit my heart, and I responded, and I said, you're right. I haven't believed God could do it. I looked her in the face and I said, I'm done. I'm done. That was 16 years ago. I haven't clicked since. I haven't done anything since. I don't share that with you for any other reason than to give you hope. You know what my problem was? I didn't believe and I didn't receive. I did not believe it was actually possible. At that time in my life, I didn't know anyone else in college that was walking in sexual freedom. I didn't know one Christian guy. I didn't know one. 
I actually heard guys would go to some conferences and stuff, and they would talk about just how to keep the fight going and keep the struggle going and just kind of keep it at bay. I never knew anyone that actually talked about actually eradicating this from your life, like eradicating a disease. So I went on that journey, 16 years in the making. I still live in America. I still have a phone. I still have access to internet. I still have all those things. But I made a choice a while ago. And that choice was I'm done. So I share that with you. I'm going to give you a chance at the end of the service if someone needs prayer or healing or breakthrough. But that's possible for you. You know, in Matthew 5, 29 through 30, <clears throat> Jesus goes on and he says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. Wow. I mean, this is nice, Jesus. It's better to cut that off and pluck that out than go to hell. I was sitting with my boys yesterday morning. We were just doing a little Devo time Saturday morning. And, and we decided to flip to Revelation. I read a little bit. And I said, I read the part about Jesus coming back on a white horse. And I said, hey, boys, you know what's going to happen? Every person who's not given their life to Jesus will be judged, and there will be no more hope for them. There's only two options, heaven and hell. There is no in between. There is no in between. And I said, you know what? You want to know why mom and you guys and some people came up to the church Friday night to go to outreach? Well, we went, and half of us got rejected, and half of us had good conversations. We went for it. Work through the fear. You know why we did that? Because there's people in this city that if they die tomorrow, I'll go into hell, period. There is no second chance. There is no, and we read about it, and we read hell is actually this lake of fire and sulfur and eternally burning. And I said to the boys, you know it's like when you get burned? Imagine being burned of your entire body 24-7, screaming at the top of your lungs, crying out, and no one can help you. Nobody can help you forever. <laughs> Not for five years, not for 10 years, not enduring a little bit of pain. Forever, eternity. So I said, boys, it is, as much as I can say as your daddy, I want you to follow Jesus. I don't care if the whole world hates you. The world will come and go. Because then we read about the new heaven, new earth. This is all gonna burn. I wanna take care of my yard and the trees in my yard, absolutely. But one day it will all go. He is coming back. For people that have said yes. I read that because in this sentence, Jesus mentions hell a couple of times. And he's saying, he's using a hyperbole, right? You know how hyperbole is? Go back to school. All right? It's like last night. You may be like, this game is taking forever. You're like, can we just win? Can we just end the game in the middle of the fourth? Just end it right here. Let's just call it. It's good. You know, it's like, of course, the game's not taking forever, but it feels like that, right? It's a hyperbole, right? <laughs> Jesus is not saying literally cut out your eye and cut out your hand. What he is saying is that sin is grievous, and we need to take it seriously. And in this case, think about it. The eye is the medium through which one is tempted to lust, and the hand represents the physical actions resulting from lusting. He is saying, the things that are tempting you and are causing you to sin, deal with it. Because it is better for you to go to heaven with only one hand than live your whole life rebellious and destroyed with both. Yeah. 
Jesus is serious. And do you know why he's not saying to actually pluck your eye out, cut your hand off? Because the removal of your hand and your eye will not remove the sin in your heart. It won't, y'all. It won't take the sin away. I love what D.L. Moody said, a, a famous preacher about 100 years ago. He said, I have more trouble with D.L. Moody than with any man I know. That's pretty good. <laughs> Meaning, when you wake up and you look in the mirror, the man or the woman that I see, that is the greatest impediment to my own holiness and godliness. It's not you, it's not her, it's me. So the reason I shared my story with you, what happened to me in my journey of addiction and pornography, the number one issue was me. It's not that God wasn't able. It's not that I blame the internet or even that guy in sixth grade. I had to forgive him. He introduced it to me, but if he didn't, someone else would have. It's coming. We live in a fallen, broken world, y'all. But when I realized the issue is me, it's me not simply not receiving the freedom and believing that God could do the impossible. He has that for you as well. Love it. James 1, 13 through 15 says, because this really helps clarify the character and nature of God. He says, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, gives birth to death. Temptation is not from God. Testing, absolutely, but a temptation is not. Temptation is that thing that the sneaky devil is out there in our fallen, broken, sinful flesh nature is out there wanting, craving. And when the Spirit of God comes, he renews your heart, renews your mind. That's why when you're actually saved in Christ, part of that process is a mind renewal, right? It's like, it's, it's like learning how to eat differently, <laughs> right? It's, it's, oh, I need to eat this. I need to, like, if, if you've been addicted to Diet Coke your entire life, you never drink a bottle of water, it's like, you cut that off, you're going to have all these, where's my Diet Coke? And it's, okay, but it's better for you, but we got to retrain your system now, a renewal that water is better, right? Have your Diet Coke, that's fine. Just drink some water too, okay? Right, but, but that's what we're talking about. It's a conversion of the heart, a conversion of the soul, conversion of the mind. It's a, it's a whole, that, that's why we talk about baptisms. Next Sunday, we got baptisms, right? That's why when they go under, the old has gone, right? You are buried with him in baptism, raised to walk a newness of life. Not, thanks for getting me wet, I'm gonna keep living that way. The idea is that you are buried like Jesus was buried in a tomb. When Jesus came back resurrected, what did he do? He walked through walls. Now, I know some guys who have tried walking through walls. It's not been successful. But go for it. But you're a new creation. You can't approach life the same way you've always done it. It's got to be a new way. There's a new way, y'all. Maybe let me illustrate this kind of whole temptation reality this way. Um, so probably several of us are probably aware of how cancer cells spread. I'll kind of give us. Uh, a few details. Um, the cancer cells become unstuck at the original tumor site and then reattach themselves at a new site. And it's important to know that cancer cells spread because 90% 
It's important to know how they spread because 90% of cancer deaths are caused not by the primary tumors, but by the ones that grow from the cells that have traveled from the original site to another vital part of the body. Meaning many times they go, oh, I got that. But they tell you, just so you know, we got what we could, but it could have already started spreading. You know, the cells. Now, why does this matter? Well, for me personally, my dad, about 20 years ago, he got diagnosed with melanoma. And, you know, growing up, he told me he would go outside and he would be fishing or on the lake or whatever, and he didn't wear shirts. There was no, like, sunscreen back then. There was just like, you just kind of work, take your shirt off in the summers. You're a guy, you're working some labor job. You just, all day, you're just getting burned. That's just the way it is, right? They didn't know what we know now. So my dad racked up a lot of sunburns, right? In my junior high school, he found out he had melanoma and he got it removed from his soldier, from, from, from his shoulder. And, you know, they had to surgically cut out a lot of muscle tissue and things around it to get rid of it. But he still has been going back to MD Anderson every year for the last 20 years. They have to keep checking because they don't know it could have spread, right? You see, but my dad's response to it, I'm so proud of him. Because my dad, when that happened, he immediately shifted. He started wearing hats, long sleeves, sunscreen. I mean, my dad right now, he will go on a walk and it's like he's got it all covered. This is pre-COVID. And he's just got it all going on. I mean, because he's like, I made the mistake. Why would I do that again? Don't make the same mistake twice. So he's changed his lifestyle dramatically. The way he eats, the, way, the sun exposure. I mean, my dad is a health nut. And he's fit and exercises. And it's like, but he had a, a life or death moment for him. And he's like, this could be the end. Either I change or it's going to keep getting worse. I wonder, though, if we approach sin like that. That's why Jesus is saying, cut it out and tear it out and cut it out. Like, he's trying to say, people, do you know that sin will kill you? It will kill you. It will slowly kill you. And it'll not only do that, it will hurt and maybe kill the people that you love, too. So deal with it head on. We don't want the sin to attach to other parts of our body. Because then what happens is years later, we don't know the damage has already been done. Right? It's, it's the parts that got missed, that didn't get cut out. Right? But what's great is we have the Holy Spirit. He's a fantastic surgeon. And he actually convicts us. He says, hey, that, that little thing right there, you think it's not a big deal? Let me just tell you, you need to get rid of that. Because that little thing will spread. Right? Do you, do you see what I'm saying? Like the Holy Spirit will actually diagnose if you're willing to listen to him, he'll say, hey, uh-uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's like, oh, come on, Holy Spirit, it's no big deal. Just a little white lie, right? But, but that's how we treat the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. We're like, ooh, and I've been guilty of that too, y'all. I don't want to be. I want to be true. I want to hear the small voice, not just the loud screaming one when it's a big deal. So Jesus, he clarifies that adultery begins in the heart and links it to sexual morality. And then he ties it together with the subject of divorce. Matthew chapter 5, 31, 32. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife 
Let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual morality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery, right? You're not going to usually hear that on a news broadcast, right? You bring up the topic of divorce, there's all sorts of things that are bristling in this room. I know, because we live in a broken world. <laughs> when I bring up sexual morality, the whole thing thing's bristling, because it's either been part of your life in the past, presently, or somebody you know, probably in your family, a loved one, a roommate, has struggled, and it has beaten them up, and it has taken a toll, and they want to be rid of it. They don't know the way out. Divorce, man, all of us know somebody. If it's not family, it's a friend, it's a coworker, it's you that have experienced the pain of that. But let's break this down for a minute here. What did a certificate of divorce mean? Well, in the ancient world, it gave a woman the right to remarry and reflects the fact that the divorce and the remarriage were widely accepted and practiced in the first century world. So Jesus speaking to something that was very relevant to them, people were wanting divorces for different reasons. And he bases his teaching, Jesus does, on God's original intention that marriage should be a permanent union between a man and a woman. One flesh and divorce breaks that union. So why is Jesus saying that it's committing adultery to marry someone who's been divorced for any reason other than sexual morality, right? Well, sexual morality in the Greek is the word pornoneia, which is where we get pornography, and can refer to adultery or prostitution or incest or fornication. Now, at that time, men were finding reasons for divorce that were not actually valid. You see, divorce should be the very last option on the table, even now, not the first. Because God's original intent, and you know why that is? Because God's original intent, guys, for marriage, is that it would reflect Christ and the church. Christ the groom, the church the bride, the people. He is returning as the groom for his bride, the church. That's who Jesus is coming back for. He will come back and return to this earth once enough people in the mind of God, he only knows that number, from every tribe, tongue, and nation, enough people have come to faith in Jesus. That's when he'll come back. We're not there yet. Not as of, you know, 10.07 a.m. on this Sunday. We're not there yet. He's coming back for his bride. And so Jesus is trying to communicate. It's such a big deal. Marriage is such a big deal because if you can actually cut into that, everything else unravels. Just look up, y'all. Look at our country. Everything unravels. There's so much brokenness. There's so much brokenness that exists. And even beyond divorce, it's the single moms, the single dads. It's the, it's the relationships that, that, that were broken along the way because someone, it, it takes two people, right? It's a two-way street. I mean, I've talked to some people, it's like, I love Jesus and, and, and my husband did. And then he went off the rails and I'm like fighting, contending for this. And it's, I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm trying to reconcile. He doesn't want it or the other way around. It's like, I'm, what do I do? I can't control this other person. But we made a covenant and they broke that. What do you do? In Matthew 19, three through nine, 
says, and Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. They said to him, well, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? He said to them, because your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual morality, and marries, commits adultery. Now, I want you to see the emphasis here. The emphasis is on man. It's on the men. It does not exclude the women, but it's on the men. The emphasis is on the man to keep up his part of the bargain, to work it out. And Jesus says here, it's because of the hardness of heart is the only reason why years ago, you guys are signing this certificate of divorce thing because you guys got corrupt and selfish and evil and wouldn't repent and wouldn't reconcile and wouldn't say I'm sorry and wouldn't serve and wouldn't do the way I've taught you to live. And you guys grumbled and asked for this, so here you go, but that's not the intention. That's not the way I designed it. If you didn't have hard hearts, there'd be no need for it. And I would say today, <laughs> we're in the same spot. You know, back then, actually, I read a couple of things. I mean, they had some silly stuff for divorces. Uh, they would allow for a man could divorce his wife if she spoiled a dish for him. Yo. You know what I'm saying? It's like, those enchiladas were a little burnt. <laughs> this isn't working. Come on. He could divorce her even if he found another fairer than she. Hey, you're kind of old. I'm going to go for the girl 10 years younger. So just, I've been great, no hard feelings, but I need someone younger. These are the Pharisees. These are religious leaders. He's like, they're asking the question. Do you know why they're asking the question? Because they want to justify their life. Hey, so uh, is it really illegal if we, you know, I mean, is it, is it really wrong? You know, whenever you start, the question is, is that line, is that it? Can we push it back a little bit? You know, or what if I just straddle it? Huh? Little heaven, touch of hell, but just want to. This is what they're saying, y'all. And it's not just, we're not just. We're not just dialing up on the Pharisees. This is now. This is now, church. I told somebody today, I said, you want to be salt and light? You want to be salty? You want to be a missionary? You want to make a difference? Get married, be faithful, work through the hard things, and be at 50-year anniversary saying, we fought, we hollered at each other, there were tears, it was crazy, but we stuck it out because it's a covenant. Because you know what God's doing with us? Sticking it out. 
you screwed up there. You messed up. You looked at that porn. You did this. You stole that. You lied in your taxes. But I still love you. And if you will confess and come clean, I'm with you. But don't go making excuses. I told this guy the other day, this young culture, that said, find me one excuse in the Bible. They don't exist. Not any ones that God says amen to. Usually an excuse gets you in a lot of trouble. My excuse. Ashley, hey, it's just, I'm trying. Doing my best. I'm better than most guys. It goes to all excuses, y'all. Man, but God's calling us to a higher standard. You know what? You don't have to live to that. You do what you want to do. You want to be like Jesus, though? You want to live a life of holiness and righteousness? He's calling us up to higher standard, y'all. The church needs to be a beacon of light. It's not that our marriages are perfect. It's that we know how to work them out. It's not like our friendships have zero conflict. Like everyone's just happy all the time. You're, if, you don't, if you have no conflict in your life group, your life group's not real. Because you're not actually interacting. Because everyone's got issues. If there's not some sort of forgiveness exchange happening monthly, there's a problem. Because you're hiding sin. Do you know what I'm saying? I'm not a fool. This is, if there's not happening in your family each week, there's a real problem. Because it's going to get stuffed and hidden, and then they're going to blow up in their teens on you. The kids. You're going to say, what happened? We were such great parents. No, you weren't. You didn't engage in forgiveness and reconciliation and love. And they're like, what do I do now? My kids are teenagers. We'll love them now. And go humble yourself. Say, I missed it, but I want to I wanna change it now. I want to correct course. The younger years, I missed it. But the adult years, I want to make it right. What can I do? Cut my hand off? What do you want me to do? Because I want to make it right. Do you understand the intensity Jesus has with this? It is so crucial, y'all, because if the devil continues to get a foothold on this area, sexual morality and divorce, he will consistently aid in unraveling the church. This is the undoing. It is in our purity, our holiness. (laughs) If not, what do we have, guys? What do we have? What's different from me to someone who's totally broken and lost and doesn't care about God? And what's the difference? That I don't curse some? That I, you know what I'm saying? It's our holiness. I believe people were so drawn to Jesus because he was so holy. They wanted that. And you know what? Your friends do too. They may make fun of you. They may mock you. But man, what if we had a generation of people that said, we're going to walk in holiness. It's unpopular. That's a good thing. You don't want to do what's popular. The world will hate you because of me, Jesus said. I want to end here and, you know, invite the band on up. Um, If you come from a divorced family, then I want you to hear a few things. Um, specifically if your parents have gotten divorced, you need to hear, number one, it's not your fault. You're not responsible to be the peacekeeper or to reconcile them. But you are responsible to forgive them. If not, that bitterness will carry into your own marriage if it hasn't already. And be passed on to your children, the next generation. 
Another thing I want you to hear if you came from a divorced family is don't blame them for your junk. Yeah, they made it harder but not being healthy and whole. But you still got a choice. You still are the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You still got the Holy Spirit that's better than any parent I know. He could parent you. And lastly, I want you to hear, don't live in fear of your own marriage because of what you experienced growing up. Can I just say that when I gave up and got free and clear from sexual morality, that's when my walk with Christ really took off, honestly. I started hearing him more clearly, really. I started seeing things I hadn't seen before. There's movies you used to watch, and once I set free from that and really pursued this life of holiness, it was like, I can't believe I used to watch that. I never heard that line before. It was literally like there was things happening in my life and there was this kind of veil and I couldn't see or hear it. But when the holiness came, it's like, whoa, what? <laughs> and then you interact with people and you're like, I used to be like that, man. Like, I'm so thankful that I'm pursuing him now. It's just way more enjoyable. It really is. Like, instead of playing defense every day, can I just be honest? I don't think about it much at all. I really don't. And trust me, um, I'm pretty sure the devil would love it if I gave in to adultery. Because then it would hurt a lot of you. And make you question pastoral leadership and if they're the real deal. And every time a pastor goes down, I hear people like, well, we can't trust her. I'm like, hold on a second. I said, he's a person. He made a choice, a big, fat, terrible choice. But he can be restored. But I'm telling you, I'm not perfect. But I've committed to live a life of holiness and purity. And I will tell you this much. Our church has gone through things the last 12 years. But I'll tell you, there's a remnant of people at this church that have chosen to walk the road of holiness and purity. And I absolutely believe there is a blessing and a favor of God on this church because of that. If you don't believe me, just read the Old Testament and see every time the people were faithful to God and when they weren't. And what happened? If we will walk the narrow road, God will bless what's happening here. He'll allow us to be a salt and light to the people out there. There'll be a holiness movement of people who are saying, man, I want to be in for God. Marriages be restored. Right? If you're not married, you'll get set off on the right foot, not the wrong one. And you'll be able to speak in a generation that's just over the top with all the garbage. And you'll say, this is so much better. It's so much more fun. It's way purer. It's what God intended. That's what we want to be as a people. So I just want you to stand. I'm going to invite our prayer teams up here. I know we're going along. If you want our life good leaders, make your way up here, please, for a moment. Here's what I want to do. This is the morning. Um, that I, I want to give you the chance right now just to get prayer. It may be because of a sin addiction in your life, that sexual morality, it could be drugs, it could be something else, I don't know. Um, could be habitually lying, I don't know what it is. So if you've got an addiction or something you've, or you just struggled with, man, come up here. There's no shame here. I just shared with you my, my deep, dark secret. So uh, you have, I'm sorry, you got nothing to hide. So 
come up and to say, I need God to give breakthrough. It took my fiance at the time, looking me in the eyes and say, do you really believe God or not? It took someone sticking it to me. And when the truth is shared, it allows conviction to take root. So come up here and to say, pray over me, say something, just what do you need to do? Come up here, you need help, these guys are here to help you. But also for those in the room, that if you've experienced divorce in any way, friends, family, yourself, let someone just minister to you. No, it's not God's plan A. But you know, he's a God of forgiveness. He's a God of reconciliation. You may have done everything you can to reconcile it, but you can't control them. You just control you. You can't control your parents. Control your response. Come and get healing this morning. It's painful. I just wish none of it existed, but it does. So Jesus came and he said, I can heal you. I can set you free. And if anything, let my story be some measure of hope for anyone in the room, anyone watching who's been in addiction. I had it for eight, nine years and couldn't get out of it. But then I finally responded to the Holy Spirit. I said, okay, it's finished. Because when Jesus said it is finished on the cross, he needs you to hear that. It's not just finished for him, his time here. It's finished for you. So Lord, I just asked this morning, would you minister to us? Set us free, Lord. Set us free, God, from our own brokenness. Set us free, Lord, from cycles of addiction. Set us free from the bitterness, from the pain that's been caused. We want to walk in hope, in new life. We don't want the past to be this weight on us. We want to run free after you. Come, Lord Jesus, minister us this morning, we pray. Amen. Just come on up as you need to.